Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And welcome to the final regular episode of Season 5. Per usual, I'll be taking next week off to assemble the season finale episode. Which reminds me, if you have a hometown legend you'd like to share for that upcoming episode, there is still time. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And be sure to mention at the beginning of the story that this is a Hometown Legends segment. I almost have enough to make a two-part episode, so let that be a little motivation for you. Now before we get started, I'd like to mention that this is the 99th regular episode of Monsters Among Us podcast, something that is very, very difficult for me to wrap my head around. Now I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening, so what do you say we quit chatting and get at it? Our first call of the evening comes to us from Diane in California. Hi, Derek. My name's Diane. I'm from Long Beach, California. Um, I was calling because my story happened a few years ago. My son was around two at the time, and he's nine now. Um... We moved into my friend's house in Long Beach, her parents' house. They let us live there. I was going through a divorce, and they let us stay there for a little bit while until I got back on my feet. So me and my son moved in, and it was my best friend's house. I'll call her Sherry. Um, so me, Sherry, and my son all had to share a room. And I, before this, um, she was my best friend for a long time, and she would tell me that sometimes she would feel something sit on her bed in the middle of the night, even though nobody was in there, obviously, and then she would feel like something on top of her. Um, So we had moved in. We lived there for a while, like maybe seven months, like nothing happened, nothing bad. And then I remember one night, so usually it would be Shirley on the outside of the bed, my son in the middle, and then me on the other side of the bed, and the bed was up against the wall. So I was laying on my side, to the left and my face was facing the wall and that night I kept waking up feeling like there was hands coming up from the bottom of the bed but there's no way hands could go through there because it was pushed up against the wall like you couldn't go down there unless if you physically moved the bed so that night I kept feeling like hands were coming through under the bed trying to touch me so I was like that was weird and um so the next day I was like you know I'm not going to sleep on that side so I slept on the outside that night And then um, 
my son and Shirley were on the other side. And this side, this time I was sleeping on my right side, facing the outside of the, facing the room. <clears throat> and I woke up, uh, like, you know, normally you wake up, you open your eyes and go right back to sleep. I woke up and I saw this huge black thing in the corner of a room. Um, it looked like, you know, like death in movies and cartoons, how it has that, that big black cape and it covers its head. But in like the death cartoons, like you see the skull face. So this one, it had a cape, um, but there was no face. It was completely black. But I could see like the, the cape head was over or something, a head, but I couldn't see no face or anything. It was huge. It would have, the head would have hit the ceiling. So I'm guessing like seven feet seven and a half maybe but if it was standing up straight it wasn't standing up straight it was bent over forward over a little bit and it was staring right at me so and it's crazy even though I didn't have a face it didn't have eyes I could tell it was staring at me it was looking straight at me it was bent over a little bit standing straight at me staring straight at me um and I just remember I was like oh my freaking god I was like terrified um and then also, too, when it was staring at me, I just remember, like, feeling this hate. Like, it hated me. It hated that I could see it. Like, it just hated me so much. Like, I could literally feel it, like, radiating from it. This just pure hatred on me. And I was so scared. I was terrified. I ended up um, just pulling the covers over my head like a little kid. Like, oh, also, too, I, there's no way I could have screamed. I think I was trying to tap Shirley but I couldn't even barely move that much. I couldn't scream. I couldn't say anything. I don't remember if I tried to call her name. If I if I tried to, it wouldn't have come out anyways. So I ended up just putting the covers over my head, and I don't know how long I was there, and I ended up falling back to sleep. The next day, I woke up, and Shirley was awake, and I was like, oh, Sherry. I was like, oh, my God, Sherry. I saw this thing. I saw this huge thing, and she was like, this huge black thing, and it was staring at me. She was like, it was right there in the corner. I was like, yes, it, it was in that corner, that corner right there. She was like, oh, I see it all the time. I was like, what, you see that thing all the time? She's like, yeah, I see it all the time. So, yeah, I mean, that was like the last time I, I had never seen it. We moved out maybe, you know, a couple months after that, but I had never seen that thing again, never felt anything. But, yeah, that's my story, and I just want to say I love your show, the Monsters Among Us podcast. I love it. It's awesome, um, and I love listening to the stories, and hopefully you can use my story. So, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Diane. To be frank with all of you, there's just not much more I can say about these shadow entities that I haven't already. Of course, that does not mean I no longer enjoy the stories. To the contrary, actually. But I've theorized the subject to death. So instead, I'm going to do something a little different here. When Diane mentioned she lived in Long Beach, I immediately thought of the infamous Queen Mary, a haunted ship permanently docked in the city. When my fiancé and I started dating, she lived in Long Beach, and I fondly remember passing the ship on my way to her house. For more on that well-known haunted location, here's a clip from YouTube user Ghosts Among Us. Voted by Time Magazine as one of the top most haunted places in the United States, the great ship Queen Mary is now a luxury hotel, 
permanently moored in Long Beach, California. The thousand-foot-long behemoth was constructed in the 1930s in the shipbuilding yards of Clydebank, Scotland, and took her maiden transatlantic voyage in May of 1936. The Queen Mary was unmatched in its elegance and catered to the rich and the famous. During World War II, the Queen Mary was stripped down and converted into a troop ship known as the Grey Ghost due to its new military paint job. The Queen Mary transported nearly 800,000 troops to Europe and was involved in the D-Day invasion. The ship was returned to its original glory following the war and resumed its transatlantic route until the growing popularity of air travel forced its retirement in 1967 when it was sold to the city of Long Beach for use as a permanently docked museum and hotel. The Queen Mary is thought to be home to as many as 150 spirits who continue to roam the hallways and ballrooms of the ship. A lot of that paranormal activity is focused on the engine room, where a young crew member was crushed to death by a watertight door in 1966. Half-Hatch Harry, as he's known, is sometimes seen walking the tight corridors of the engine room. In areas near where the ship's pools were once located, two young girls can sometimes be seen laughing and playing. They're presumed to be the spirits of two girls who drowned in the pools during the ship's sailing days. Visitors have also reported hearing splashing sounds and seeing the ghostly apparitions of women in 1930s-style swimsuits, as well as wet footprints on the pool decks. And that's despite the fact that they've been drained and closed for decades. A beautiful young woman dressed in an elegant nightgown, known as the Lady in White, can sometimes be seen dancing alone in the shadows of a ballroom. A tall, dark-haired man dressed in a suit has been seen having a drink in one of the ship's bars, and a newborn can be heard crying from an area that once served as a children's playroom. It's believed to be the spirit of a baby who died there shortly after birth. Other paranormal activity includes the sounds of knocks, doors slamming, and unidentified yelling. Others have reported odd smells and unexplained temperature changes. Hotel guests often report hearing sounds of tearing metal and rushing water, as well as the anguished screams of terrified men. During its World War II service, the Queen Mary collided with her escort ship, shearing the much smaller escort in half and killing over 250 members of its crew. And room number 340 has been sealed off and is not used by the hotel. A staff member was once murdered there, and the hauntings became too violent for its continued use as a hotel room. I'm actually planning on staying on the ship overnight sometime in the coming months to shoot a video segment for the Patreon subscribers, something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. So thank you, Diane, for your submission. I'm not sure what these shadow figures are, but there certainly seems to be a lot of them out there. Thanks again. Our next story takes us to the skies over Virginia. This is Randy's Encounter. Hey Derek, it's Randy from Richmond coming back with another encounter. This one happened in March of 2016 in the Goochland area of Virginia. It was a gorgeous spring day, and I was walking out of work. Where I was working at the time, you could see trees all around you. It is practically in the middle of nowhere, so the scenery was beautiful. I just happened to look up while I was taking a deep breath as I walked across the bridge to the parking deck when I noticed a couple of strange things in the sky. It looked like someone took a white gel pen, made a mark in the sky, and they were moving it all around. The shape of these objects looked exactly like the mark you would make with a pen when you draw a line. So I got in my car and I drove up to the top of the parking deck. I got out of the car and looked up to my surprise. 
and there were six objects, all the same size, all moving around in different directions. They covered a lot of space in a short amount of time. I was amazed no one else seemed to see these objects. My first thought in my head was a cool meteor shower. Only problem was, no trail behind them as they moved and they changed directions. I thought about military jets and commercial airliners, but the color was off, and most of the time they leave a trail from the engines behind them. So I watched them move around in different directions for another 10 to 15 minutes before I headed home. Once there, I immediately checked online to see if there were any airports or military bases in that area just to be sure of what I saw. There was nothing that I could find. I even researched to see if the area had UFO sightings before and didn't find anything. It was truly awesome to have my first ever UFO experience be in broad daylight. And that's it for my encounter. Thank you so much for all the hard work you put into the podcast. It is one I look forward to every week. Keep up the great work. Thanks again, Randy. Well, thank you, Randy. My initial thought here was that Randy simply saw kites. As I've said a million times, I live in the mountains northeast of Los Angeles, and due to the strong winds we receive up here, it's not uncommon to see intricate kites flying through the sky. And let me tell you, some of these things can really scoot. I've seen small kites, huge kites, kites shaped like dragons, basically anything that you can imagine. So my thought here is that a few people decided to toss their kites up into the air, and since Randy could not see the operators, the thought didn't pop into his head. This could also explain why the folks around him didn't seem to notice anything strange. Perhaps they knew what the items were. A few other theories that popped into my head were birds, drones, and possibly remote-controlled airplanes. But of course, I was not there, and the fact that it was a daylight sighting makes it more difficult to rationalize a mistaken identity. But I suppose anything is possible. Thanks again, Randy, for taking the time to share. I wish I could have been there to witness this strange occurrence with you. Now before I move on to the next call of the evening, I wanted to remind everyone that there's still half a day left to get donations in to support Addie and Warren. We've already received several kind donations, but I'd love it if we can squeeze out just a few more. Simply hit up the donate tab on the show's webpage, which is monstersamonguspodcast.com, and put in any amount that you would like. All donations made up until midnight tonight... Thursday the 21st, will go toward our awesome volunteers. So thanks again, everyone, for the support. Okay, get comfortable, because our next call is a bit on the longer side. The following is Annie's call from Arizona. Hi Derek, this is Annie in Arizona. Uh, I think this is probably my last story, unless something nifty happens between now and then, but um, listening to the uh, people who call into your show that uh, share their haunted house stories uh, did remind me of a wonderful series of events that occurred um, for several years in my childhood growing up. Uh, most people call in, they have stories about ghosts and houses that probably were not the kindness of things or um, that were relatively frightening um, and due to you know us not knowing the nature of these events that caused these things to be here, we it is relatively scary. But I think my family was very fortunate in that over several generations uh, we owned a farmhouse, two-story, really cute little Victorian number. Uh, it did have a basement. Uh, the, our my family's from North Dakota, very small farming town. Um, 
The house itself belonged, uh, the story that I remember as a child, uh, to the local doctor in town. And um, the house was well over 100 years old. This doctor and his wife ended up losing a child. Now, whether or not that has any bearing on what existed in the house at the time, I couldn't tell you, but we believe it did. So, I'm going to start with, um, these were stories that were told around my grandmother's dining room table by generation after generation of my family growing up in this town. Um, I grew up as a very small girl when we go back to visit, just completely enraptured listening to my cousins, aunts, uncles, my mother, and my grandmother, um, telling us the stories of what happened in this little house. The home was occupied by, at that time, uh, my aunt, my uh, only aunt on my mother's side, who I adored dearly, and she had um, four really fun kids. And in this house, we believe, was haunted by the... um, spirit, if you will, of a young boy who was affectionately dubbed Henry. Um, I'm going to start from the bottom of the house and work my way up because I believe that's the order in which I remember the stories the best. So years before um, I was even in the picture, I'm 40 now, so you can imagine years, years, years ago, um, my aunt... uh, had a large living area that was separated by two giant rolling oak doors that would recess back into the wall. And uh, you could close the doors to have privacy in the living area, or you could open them and go from the living area to kind of the main thoroughfare of the house that would get you to other rooms. Well, these doors, even since before um, my family purchased the home, were never working. Uh, They were so heavy and had come off their tracks um, way back in the recess of the wall that they were never repaired. There just wasn't a feasible um, financial way to get these things back on the track and get them rolling. Didn't have a need to, so. Well, one day, as I recall, my grandmother was having, or my aunt, excuse me, was having a Tupperware party in the living room area. And, you know, all the ladies in that town that knew my aunt and enjoyed Tupperware were over and they were having tea and cookies and looking at different plastic things with bubbles that you popped and blah, blah, blah. Um, and suddenly from behind them, they could hear a heavy thud and then just slow squeak, squeak, squeak. And my aunt turned around and she says the two doors were sliding together. Not only did they slide together and slowly close, but they opened up again. And at that point, the entire Tupperware party was um, quickly called to a close. Everyone gathered their um, personal belongings and left the house. So that's the first one I remember. Um, Another story I remember being told um, as a young child was my aunt slept in a uh, waterbed. It was upstairs, so the house was three stories, actually four if you counted a basement. But you would go up the first flight of stairs, and there was a bunch of bedrooms on that floor. Her room was off to the right, 
at the top of the stairs. She did have a very large waterbed in it, and she would talk about um, being alone in the house, um, especially in the morning after the kids go to school. She would go upstairs to get ready for work, come around the corner into her room, and the waterbed is undulating in a fashion that was very similar to um, if someone had just been bouncing on it, um, you know, just making that sloshy, sloppy wave sound and um, the blanket's just crazy and the pillows are all over and and that always did creep her out. Um, that happened on, on more than one occasion. Um, my cousin, uh, her son that lived there with her, um, they had a nifty little room. They had one of those rooms that in their closet was another smaller door that led to a smaller area of the attic where people would, you know, used to hide their, their large luggage and large trunks to get it out of the way and stuff. Um, and the, the kids knew the house was haunted. Um, they didn't get a lot of their friends that wanted to come over and stay the night. The ones that did usually left in the middle of the night. Um, generally, something was touching their feet or would pull the pillow out from underneath them. Nothing that happened in that house was ever, ever um, mean-spirited or malevolent in any way. So my cousin had decided, as he was given a, re a uh, assignment in school, to write a report on something, and he chose a poltergeist. Uh, he had checked out a book from school, which was actually not a very large library, and they just happened to have a poltergeist book. And he had spent several days um, working on his book or on his report. And the next day, um, he was going to uh, orally deliver it to his class. So he set the book and the report next to his bed on the floor, uh, went to sleep. So it would be the first thing that he'd pick up in the morning, throw into his backpack, head down the stairs and out to the bus. Well, when he woke up, stepped off of his bed and reached down to grab his book and report, they're missing. Um, they spent as much time as they could scouring the house for those two items, and unfortunately he did have to go to school, and he did actually have to tell the teacher that um, the poltergeist Henry stole his book report. Um, interestingly enough, about 20, 25 years later, when they were redoing the um, closet in that smaller anti-closet, um, they did find that school report and that school book um, tucked in a faraway corner, um, hidden with a couple other things that the kiddos had lost long years and years ago. So that was awesome. Um, when the family would go away for an extended period of time um, when the parents and the uh, kiddos would leave to visit say they'd go to Fargo for a couple days or even longer when they'd come home all the pictures that were of the family uh, they usually hung downstairs in the hallway the entryway um, the dining area were taken off the wall and were set face up on the coffee table in the living area. Um, and the feeling around that was always just definitely Henry's lonely. You know, he's, he's missing his family. Um, even though we went back and visited almost every summer, 
I was terrified to stay in that house, but I looked so forward to it every year. Um, those two feelings were so conflicting. My memories of that house, I think the most profound experiences I had, the very first one actually, I was sleeping in the first bedroom on the left as we came up the stairs with my grandmother. And uh, my grandmother, she'd feared nothing. So in sharing a bedroom with my grandmother, I felt pretty safe. Um, I had the bed underneath the window that faced out toward the street, and she was closest to the door. So late that night, I know I was tired. Um, we had played hard, I remember, and I was I just crashed. Well, later that night, it was night, night, night time. I'm wee early hours of the morning, maybe. I woke up because I thought I heard my grandma get up and leave the room because the door shut. So I rolled over and I looked and the door was open and my grandma was still in bed. Then suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I, I could see some movement in the hallway. So as I looked, I, from where I laid, I had a direct shot of line of sight down the hallway all the way to the end of the, the hallway. I watched in eerily succession. There was probably six doors in that hallway. Each one would open and close, and the next one would open and close. It's all the way like that, all the way to our bedroom door, which, to my terror, closed and then opened, which then set off the chain of events of every single door in unison, opening and then closing, opening and then closing. I was so scared that I couldn't talk, that I couldn't move. Grandma was right there. She was five feet away from me. I was too afraid to get out from underneath my blankets to do anything. So I laid there, and I laid there until I fell back asleep early enough. I don't know how we do that, but we do. Woke up in the morning on the floor. I'm not sure how I got there. Came downstairs as quick as I could, told my mom and dad what happened, and thank goodness I had parents who never disbelieved me. Um, just the fact that they validated saying, yes, it can be a little bit scary in this house made me feel a whole lot better. So that was, that was terrifying. Um, one of the other things that happened, this was to my sister, actually. We were playing in the entryway, and there was a, a big double doors that opened to, as you, when you came in the door almost directly in front of you, that there was a staircase past the closet. You would open the closet doors. There was a coat rack that hung there with some coats that hung. And if you walked past through that, you would walk down the stairs into the basement. And the basement was a whole other story. But Kathy and I were playing in the hallway and I don't know what happened. Fortunately, my dad was close by because we collided. She hit those double doors and they opened. And she went down the backward, down those basement stairs. And I looked at dad and he was, you know, he went down after as fast as he could. And I could hear him run. I was screaming for mom. Mom came in from the kitchen. And about the time mom got to where I was standing at the opening to the basement, dad came up holding my sister. And my sister was probably about six or seven at the time and he put Kathy down and Kathy just scampered away and my dad I've never seen my dad afraid uh, he was white he was whiter than a sheet of paper and he looked at my mother and he put his hand on her shoulder and he said she stopped right before she hit the floor he said I picked her up out of thin air 
At that point, I think he went out back and had a cigarette. It was a long time before my mom told my sister about that, but that actually turned into one of our favorite stories to tell around the table because it once again helped us feel like Henry was there more to look out for us and um, wasn't there to be harmful. So that was pretty cool. Let's see what else. So the basement had a very old time, early 1800s, perhaps, uh, baby carriage. It was the old kind um, that they were very large. It was black, had a white interior, beautiful um, shiny silver tires. I mean, it was obviously aged and, and tattered. But if you came into close proximity of that baby carriage while you were downstairs the in the basement, the lights would shut off on you. And so uh, the kids and the adults tend to stay far away from that thing. Um, so the baby carriage at the bottom of the basement stairs would roll on its own. And uh, so when there were tornadoes and the family actually had to go down to the basement, they were pretty, I mean, it, w- it was a toss-up between do we face the tornado or do we go downstairs and, and hang out with a creepy baby carriage. I mean, it, it was that spooky. So th- no one liked to go down there. No one wanted to check and make sure that the, you know, the electric box, if we had to uh, switch a breaker or something there, I mean, you really had to uh, pull teeth to get anybody to go down there and fix that. One of the niftiest things that I loved about Henry was some nights you could hear him sing. My my aunt actually noticed it the first time. She uh, she woke up and she could hear a little boy singing a very old children's song. Uh, it wasn't inside the house. It was right out front on the little porch. And um, we were lucky enough a couple times to hear him sing. Um, and it was just a cheerful little song that I I didn't even remember have ever ever hearing. But it was curious that uh, you don't hear too many voices of small disembodied children singing on a porch. So when the family did move, they uh, emptied the waterbed. And underneath the mattress, in the very center of the bed, was uh, that was back when you bought the large, like, two-pound rolls of butter, the rolls. There was a roll of butter underneath that mattress, curiously enough. Uh, obviously, none of the children were strong enough to lift it, nor were the adults had any reason to put one there. So that was that was an interesting thing that Henry did. Once in a while, they'd come home, and there would be a dish or two that had been washed, which I thought was kind of funny. The dogs were never uncomfortable in the house. My aunt does did recall a time when uh, she thought the kids were playing in the basement closet. You know how kids will kind of rumble and tumble around, and sh- and the kids were home at the time. She could hear the hangers kind of being jostled back and forth like the kids were running up and down the basement stairs, and she jumped up, and my gr- my aunt was not a small woman, so when she came towards you, it was quite terrifying, um, and especially when she was upset, she was getting after the kids, and she slung those basement doors open, and there were no kids, but the coat hangers were swinging back and forth, and that that sent her flying out of the house in terror, which um, the visual of is adorable. But um, the last person in my family to live in that house was my uncle, uh, a man scared by nothing. The reason he left the house is something that he still will not disclose to anyone in the family. Apparently, uh, Henry did not care for him much because it terrified him beyond words. 
uh, unfortunately, because I I had planned as an adult to purchase this house when I was able to, but the uh, flooding in that area ended up causing so much damage to the home that it was it did have to be um, destroyed, and that's pretty heart was pretty heartbreaking for a while, but. Um, the neighbors would call because they could hear screaming in the basement. The police would show up. No one was there. Um, we believe it's just little Henry's call for attention. Um, but I just wanted to share that story because we don't hear too many nice ghost stories. And, and I, um, those are cherished memories from my childhood. So thank you, sir. Keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you, Annie. Due to the length of the call, I'll try to keep my breakdown brief. First off, I want to say how funny it probably sounded to say a ghost stole his homework. I'm sure that that's an excuse I probably tried to use as a kid. But that humor quickly fades to terror when it's realized that the homework and other items were found hidden in the wall. To be honest, that's downright creepy. The other experiences are too numerous to comment on individually, but I can say it certainly sounds like there's some serious activity that took place in that home. The other experiences are too numerous to comment on individually, but I can say that it certainly sounds like some serious activity took place in that home. Thank you again, Annie, for sharing. It was simply incredible. It seems like we have a very ghostly episode this evening. Our next haunting tale comes to us via an anonymous source from the state of New Mexico. Hi, Derek. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I just started listening, working my way back through the catalog. I just finished the beginning of season five. Now I'm almost to the beginning of season four. I'm really enjoying it. I just thought I'd call in and share one of my experiences. Um, My parents and I had taken my son, who was about four or five at the time, to uh, the Apple Harvest Festival in Cloudcroft, New Mexico. We, we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we had rented this cabin. And we got to the cabin, and <clears throat> it looked a little off. The homeowners, the people who owned it, lived in the house next door. The cabin was attached to their house, and it used to be a school. Like in the 70s or 80s, it was a school that the lady who we were renting it from was the teacher for and she said that there was a fire and the school closed and they rebuilt the part that was burned um but they left a lot of the school stuff there there were desks and 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 kids projects on the walls and little kids furnitures because it was like a pre-k preschool type thing and uh it was a really nice place it was just a little off and there was a playground in the uh, yard, but it wasn't like a, you know, modern day playground with all the safety equipment and, and bright colored plastic. It was like cold rolled steel monkey bars and like a steel slide and everything was all rusted and overgrown. The chains on the swing were broken and, and rusty. And it was just a really unique looking place. And anyway, so we were there for the weekend and my son liked to get up early in the morning to help the lady who owned the place feed her chickens she had chickens and goats and ducks and he liked to get up early and help her feed her animals and this was our last day there it was sunday it was about 
6 o'clock in the morning. The sun was just coming up over the mountains. It was kind of like a hazy light outside. And my son and I were sharing a bedroom that had two full beds. So we weren't sleeping in the same bed, but we were in the same room. And I heard him just banging around. And I, I woke up. It roused me from sleep. And I woke up and I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm going to go outside and play with this little kid. And I said, well, what little kid? And he said, the little kid. There was a boy on the outside of the window, and he was banging on the window and told me to come outside. And I said, well, I, I didn't hear anything. And he said, well, that's what happened. He was already mostly dressed. He was putting his boots on. And so I was like, well, you know, hold on a second. And I got dressed, and we both went outside. And we walked around to where the window was. There's no sign that anybody was there. There was no little boy. It was dead quiet outside. And we didn't see anybody. We walked around all the way around the, the house and the cabin. Didn't see anybody else. And then a couple minutes later, we heard a door close. And we went around to the front. And the lady who owned the place had come out of the cabin. She had her pail with her feet in it and everything. And she was like, oh. You guys are up already, ready to help me feed. And Oliver, my son, asked where the little boy was. And she kind of like looked at us and said, you know, you guys are the only ones here. We only have the one cabin. And the nearest neighbor was on the other side of the mountain, maybe like half a mile, a mile away. And she said there wasn't anybody else there. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a child had perish in the flames of the school or something like that i don't know i didn't press it any further for i just didn't honestly think about it at the time i thought maybe my son was dreaming or whatever but now after listening to a lot of the stories your other listeners have said it definitely stri strikes me as something pretty pretty creepy so anyways love the podcast you're doing a great job it's nice to have a uh place for people to talk about their experiences keep up the good work thanks thank you caller i've heard countless stories like this one but that does not stop them from being beyond spooky i realize kids have an active imagination but you have to remember that parents spend countless hours with their children they know when lies are being told and they know the difference between stories and real life and lastly as i always say i'd love to know the history of the building Perhaps we can verify that a child died on or around the property. That kind of validation goes a long way to support these claims. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time. Up next is a call from Ed regarding a strange craft he saw in the sky. Hey, Derek, this is Ed. Uh, I wanted to call in and uh, tell you about a story that I have. Um... Well, I was leaving work one day, and uh, I just happened to look up, and uh, I saw I saw what I thought was a satellite. It was pretty pretty dark outside, so uh, but there was no clouds, and so I could see some flashing, you know, moving across the sky. Um, and then I looked away for a minute, and I looked back up, and then I noticed a different light. That light was seemed strange to me right away. Um, it it kind of sat there for a second, 
and I was like, I thought it was a helicopter or something like that, or a plane maybe, uh, maybe moving away from me, but there was no sound, and it happened to look like it was above a near uh, a lake nearby that I could see. Um, I'm not entirely 100% sure about that though, but um, yeah, like I said, it hovered there for about maybe like 30 seconds, and it was this kind of green bluish color and uh it, it just sat there and then all of a sudden it shot it shot straight down uh and then as it was going down it just kind of blinked out of existence uh i at first i thought maybe it was like oh maybe it was a drone or something somebody might have been flying a drone but it seemed like it was falling much faster than a drone would be if it just stopped hovering um, uh, if it was a UFO, I don't know. Uh, I just thought it'd be an interesting story for, uh, you to hear. I uh, hope you can use this on the podcast. Uh, love it, by the way. Been listening for a couple months now. Um, keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you, Ed. I like Ed's theory of a drone. Most seem to have green lights on them, and the movement sounds right. But as Ed mentioned... He doesn't think that's what he saw. I certainly can't say for certain what it was he witnessed, but I can say that I've received an influx of green-colored UFOs as of late. I believe I shared one on a recent episode, and I have one on an upcoming Patreon episode. Of all the colors used to describe UFOs in the past, green has not been an overly popular one. So, why all the green UFO reports lately? Is it possible that this could all stem back to the green lights found? on everyday conventional drones. Thanks again, Ed, for the call. We really appreciate it. Okay, I have one more story to share, but first, these news bulletins. It's 100% official. I will be at Crypticon September 8th and 9th in Frankfort, Kentucky. If you're going to be in the area, I highly suggest attending, and if you do, be sure to stop by and say hello. You can find more info at www. CryptidCon.com. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. And if that app does not allow reviews, then please share the show on your social media page. We recently surpassed 600 reviews, which almost seems impossible. I never thought we'd reach that number. So thank you to all those that have taken the time to do so. And don't forget to catch me on the latest episode of Blurry Photos, where I talk with David Flora about our good buddies, the Mirrored Men. You can find that episode wherever you get your podcast. And real quickly, I'd like to send some well wishes out to Ralph A. He recently suffered a heart attack, and I hear he's doing better. So hang in there, Ralph, and it's good to hear that you're on the upswing. And lastly, I'm still working on the merch. Unfortunately, the delays are out of my hands, but I promise they will be here very soon. All right, now for the final story. The following is Audrey's call from Oklahoma. Hi, Derek. This is Audrey in Oklahoma. I called yesterday, but I didn't word my story very well, so I'm resubmitting the same story today. I was reminded of this story when I heard um, Reginald's story in the most recent episode. This is a story that didn't happen to me directly, but to my aunt. She was in Arkansas, 
in the early 90s, and she was fishing at dawn early in the morning with her husband. They were at a lake near Eureka Springs, and she was looking across the water, just enjoying the morning, and something caught her attention, something moving from the trees. As she looked closer, it was she realized she was seeing a white, hairy arm. And this was not a human hand. It was too large to be a person, and the arm was completely covered in fur or hair, but it had a hand with opposable thumbs. She turned to look at her husband and see if he saw it too, but as soon as they looked back, it was gone. So it's a short story. Um, sorry for that. Um, I just was reminded of that from the possibility of there being a white Sasquatch in Reginald's story because that's what she believes she saw. I love the podcast. Thank you for doing it. Uh, keep it up, and I hope you can use this story. Thank you, Audrey. Yet another white Bigfoot encounter. I'm equal parts fascinated and skeptical of these stories due mostly to the fact that it would be nearly impossible to hide a 500-pound white ape anywhere in the lower 48. How is it possible that these creatures haven't been seen more often? Now imagine a polar bear roaming the hillsides of Arkansas. Somehow I feel like it would be very difficult not to see him. Yet, these legends persist. So obviously there's something out there causing people to claim they witnessed it. But until someone drags in that body, the jury is still out. Now, before I sign off, there's something else in Eureka Springs, Arkansas that I think we should probably discuss. The very haunted Crescent Hotel. The Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs was built in 1866 and originally acted as a hotel until purchased by Norman Baker, a con artist, in 1937. Under his management, the hospital used false advertisements regarding a cure to lure cancer patients to the area many of them dying within its walls. Those brave enough to investigate these old corridors report a terrifying and wide range of activity, including guests having sheets thrown from them in the middle of the night, disembodied footsteps in the hallway, and the sound and feel of a heavy breathing on the back of the neck. Many reports detail ghostly doctors and nurses pushing gurneys, and almost skeletal cancer patients wandering the halls, even stopping to talk to current guests at great lengths. The spirit of a little boy has been seen skipping through the halls on multiple occasions, and many have reported the feeling of being touched, pushed, or pinched by invisible hands. Room 218 is said to be the most haunted, where lights flicker, the door violently slams, a loud pounding sound comes from the walls, and several have seen black hands emerging from the bathroom mirror. One guest even ran screaming from the room after seeing blood begin covering the walls. And what of Mr. Baker, you ask? The dastardly con artist responsible for these horrors? His soul is there too, according to witnesses who report seeing him cornered in the hall by the many ghosts of his misled patients from life, before being ripped apart limb from limb. That clip comes courtesy of The Speakeasy on YouTube. That clip and all others used on tonight's show can be found in the show notes for this episode. Simply visit monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the show notes tab. With all the tragedy that took place in that hotel, it's not at all surprising that there may still be a few guests hanging around. 
And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is given by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pawn Abbott. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music for this episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next time. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus, to get behind the wheel, to go out on the open road, to feel a rush of adrenaline. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exhilarating experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.